All right, guys, bow with me, please. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for everybody that you've brought into your house today. Lord, we just ask for your blessing as we come to your word. Help me to teach it faithfully and accurately. Give each of us hearts and minds to accept it, to understand it. We ask all these things in your son's name. Amen. All right, guys, I know a lot of you guys saw me a few weeks ago, but a lot of you probably didn't. I'm going to go ahead and start by just introducing myself. I'm Hunter DeLargy. I've uh, grown up here in Salem. I went to church here, youth group as a kid. I'm a member here. Uh, I've been saved and baptized here several years ago. For the last couple of years, I've I've been going around preaching and teaching everywhere that would open the door while I was knocking, so I've wound up here eventually. Um, I just want to, before we get started, to go ahead and thank all of the pastors, the deacons, Kelly, for asking me to come talk to you guys. Uh, I appreciate the opportunity. If you will, turn with me to our main text today. It's going to be in the book of 1 John, chapter 1. And when you get there, if you would, rise with me. We're going to stand for the reading of God's Word. We're going to be starting in verse 8. The apostle says, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar, and His word is not in us. Alright guys, so what I want to do today, you may be seated. Uh, We're just going to talk about the basic gospel of Jesus Christ. We're going to have a basic, straightforward gospel message you've heard a million times. We're going to talk for a little bit about the bad news, the condition that the world's in, and we're going to talk about the good news, what Jesus has done about it, what God has done about it. Uh, What we're going to do today is we're going to look at some basic foundational principles of Christianity, something that I think everybody should know, something I think everybody in here can benefit from. Uh, It's not going to be real heady ivory tower theology. This is something on the ground level. Everybody here should be able to take something away from this passage right here. I want to go ahead and start with the bad news. What the Apostle John tells us in verse 8, he says, If we say that we have no sin, the bad news is sin. What is sin before we get started? Uh, Sin is just basically anytime anybody is not walking in God's will, doing something that's wrong, not doing something they know to be right, doing anything that doesn't come from faith, that separates us from God, that's sin. Uh, Sin has many consequences. Uh, Those are the things that we need to avoid. Uh, When it comes to all of creation has been cursed in Genesis 3 by sin, we know that everything is just not right. It's not in the very good condition that it started out in. We know as individuals, families, churches, that death has come to the world through sin. Death is spread to all men. It's something that we all have to deal with. Uh, And ultimately, beyond that, sin is something that separates us from God. It's something that destroys our relationship with Him. It's something that if we don't repent of, if we don't turn away from, will eventually destroy our relationship with Him forever. This isn't a sermon about hell. We're not going to go into the details of that, but it's something that you need to know in your back of your mind. It's something that's real. Sin is something that affects everyone. That's what the apostle uh, stresses in this passage right here. He says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. Just a couple verses later, he says, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. Sin is universal. It affects everybody. There's no person in this room 
that what we're going to talk about today doesn't apply to you. This is something that affects your life. It affects how you live. The entire Bible, what we preach every week, is a big narrative, a big story about what God has done in Christ to overcome sin and its consequences. That's the story from beginning to end. Uh, John is dealing with a group of people that deny this, that would say, uh, no, either I've never sinned, or at the very absolute least, I don't sin anymore. That might be something that sounds ludicrous to you. Uh, that might, what I'm saying to you might seem obvious. It might seem something that doesn't even need to be said. It's not obvious to everybody. It's not obvious to everyone that they need a Savior. It's not obvious to everybody that the way that they're living is not the way that God would have them to live. Uh, John totally rejects that outright from the very beginning. Uh, there's no doubt about it. He says, if you say that, you deceive yourself. You're doing nothing but lying to yourself, and you're lying to yourself about something that's important. There's no understanding the good news without understanding the bad news. If you don't get this, you can't even get off the ground. Beyond that, he tells us that to do this is to make God a liar. How does it make God a liar? Well, because God has clearly, clearly revealed to us in no uncertain terms that everybody is a sinner. Everyone. Everyone in here. Universally. There are no exceptions. God has told us in, in various passages all throughout the Bible things like all have sinned in Romans 5.12 or all have sinned and come short in Romans 3. That all of us stumble in James 3. That there is no man that sins not in 1 Kings chapter 8, among others. And there's more. I could go on. Guys, everybody is sinful. That's what John is pressing. You can't get the good news without this. Uh, going on from that, even if we didn't have all of these clear passages, even if we didn't have all of this clear teaching that says that this applies to you, that this matters for you, uh, it, it, it's obvious. Anybody who has the slightest bit of objectivity can look at their life and say, this applies to me. This is something that I need to be worried about. Uh, if you'll stop lying to yourself for one moment, that becomes clear. Uh, it's not clear in a way that I want to condemn you, but it's clear in the way that we need to go the route that John presses us in the next verse. Uh, just to show you how bad this can be, how obvious it can be, I, I want to show you a passage where this actually takes place. If you'll turn with me in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verse 17. This is Jesus speaking. He says, Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods, and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Now, this just illustrates how wrong we can be, how messed up that we can be, how we can not see the reality that's sitting right in front of us. We can think that everything's perfectly fine. We can think that everything is okay. This is the I don't need a savior condition, right? That I'm fine how I am. But Jesus tells them that the truth is really that you're not. No matter what you say, no matter how much you have convinced everybody around you of that truth, the truth of the matter is that you're not. And that we have to acknowledge this. Uh, denying the fact that you're sick doesn't make you not sick. It can keep you from the cure. Denying the fact that you have a problem, refusing to acknowledge that you have a problem, doesn't make the problem go away. It can make the problem worse. And one of the main themes of our main text in 1 John that I want to talk about today, something that might surprise a lot of us, is that this is not just something for non-believers. 
This applies to believers just as much as it applies to non-believers. If you'll look at that passage with me in 1 John chapter 1, he over and over and over again, he says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. John is including himself in what he's saying right there. This is a man who walked with Jesus, saw him minister for years, was an apostle for decades. Uh, None of us are more mature in our walk than John was. John's including himself in this. He says, if I say I have no sin, then I would be deceiving myself. Uh, Those that are saved don't instantly become perfect. Uh, That's just a reality that we all have to walk with. Uh, We still sin. We still struggle with old temptations, old habits, the old man that we used to be. Those things die hard. But John gives us the antidote. He gives us the cure to the entire situation in verse 9. He says, if we confess our sins. Uh, This is the response that God wants. What we need to be doing is not accepting sin in our lives. It's not ignoring sin, pretending like it's not there. What we need to do is confess our sins. This is the response he's looking for. Not just something where we, we say some words and, and then go on about our day as if it's just some mechanical thing. It goes deeper than that. It's something that we mean, something that we're sincere about. Uh, to confess is to come to God and to stop hiding the situation that you're in. And I'll tell you something now, you're not slipping anything past Him anyway. He knows. It's not as if He's just too busy to check up on what you're doing. God knows what's going on. This is to just acknowledge that what he says is correct, what he says is right, to agree with him about what he says about our sin, to acknowledge that what we've done is wrong. If we come in a repentant attitude uh, that goes deeper than words, that's sincere, that drops every excuse away, accepts that what God has said is right, we have many benefits that he lays out for us. I want to give you another example. What does confession look like? It's not a word that you hear a whole lot. If you'll turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15, I just want to give you a quick example. This is uh, the prodigal son. This is one of my favorite parables, starting in verse 20. This is when the prodigal is returning home to the father. He says, And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion, and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and am no more worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Bring here the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. So what happened here? The son, the son in this parable... He grabbed his inheritance, he ran off, and he blew it. Uh, He blew all of his money away on things that he shouldn't have been spending it on. But he's decided here at the end that he's going to come back. He's going to try to seek forgiveness. He's going to try to be reconciled with his father. You can see how that would apply to each one of us, right? He walks right back to the father. He makes no bones about it. He says exactly what happened, that he sinned in his sight, that he's not worthy to be his son. But the important thing is not just what he does. Look and see what the father does. That forgiveness, that acceptance back to the father was waiting for the son the whole time. The father was sitting there waiting for the son to come back to him. That's something that's available to every one of us. The problem is on our side. The lack of confession, the lack of acknowledgement, it's not coming from God. It's coming from us. 
It's coming from us wanting to stay in the situation that we're in. Uh, To ignore the need to confess sin is to deny the gospel of Jesus Christ. He can't die for your sins if you don't have sins. This is something that has got to come first. We have to understand where we are. And I want to start moving on to the good news a little bit now, what God has done for us. But first, I want to head off a couple of problems we might have before we get there. I don't want any misunderstandings that Brother John has to clean up after he gets back or anything. So I want to just kind of address a difficult situation. I've already told you this applies to believers too. Believers have to confess their sins. Believers have to repent and return to God. But there's a reasonable question that comes out of that. It sounds something like, well, if I'm forgiven, why do I need to confess? Christ has already forgiven me. Why do I still need to confess my sins? Why do I still need to seek forgiveness? I think that's a good question. I think, yes, you are forgiven. But yes, in this passage, you clearly do need to come back to the Father. You still need to seek forgiveness. Because there's two different kinds of forgiveness that's laid out to us in Scripture. There's a different kind of forgiveness that comes to the believer or to the unbeliever. Uh, For one of the examples here, if you would, turn with me to Romans chapter 8, verse 1. And I think we can look at a, make a really important point here. The Apostle Paul says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. So I don't want anybody to be confused. I want everybody to know that no one that's in Christ, no one united to Him by faith, no one is going to be condemned because their guilt has not been removed and their sins have not been forgiven. That's not what we're saying. Do not misunderstand me as saying something like every time a believer sins, well, they're, they're gone and they have to start all over again. Every time they sin, they fall out of God's love or they cease to be His children or anything like that. Uh, don't take me as saying that if you don't confess every tiny little sin that you cease to be a believer and that you're going to pay for that on Judgment Day. That's not what I'm getting at. Uh, no, your sins are washed away. They're blotted out. They're gone forever. There is no condemnation if you're in Christ. You will be saved. That isn't the reason that you need to confess, though. And I think oftentimes we're in danger of going too far the other way. Too far where we get to a point where we say, well, yeah, I'm not walking the way the Lord would want me to. I'm not in His will. Uh, I'm doing things that are hurting me, those around me, my relationship with God. But I'm a believer, so God just doesn't care. Well, of course God cares. Uh, That's going too far in the opposite direction. God cares how we live. He cares what we do. Sin is sin, and sin always has consequences. Now, John has given us in our main text how we deal with those consequences, how we deal with that sin. I don't care if you're a believer or an unbeliever. There's the same answer. You return to God, you confess your sins, and you will be forgiven. That's what John lays out for us. Uh, The way that we do this, we go to Him, we seek His help and His forgiveness. And from that, I want to address, again, the good news. What does God do? That's the important thing, right? That's what we all want to hear. We know that we're all sinners. We know that we've all fallen short. I hope that we've made that point. But God has done something. God has done something to make all of those things right. We have been forgiven and cleansed. That's what the text says. That's the benefits that we receive. That's what God does in return. I want to take each one of those one at a time. What does it mean that we're forgiven? What does it mean to be forgiven? Scripture addresses that in several ways. I think the main idea, this might be a little bit too simple, but I think it's nice and easy to understand and it'll do. Uh, He just treats you like you'd never sinned in the first place. 
He takes that away. He totally forgives you. Because of His mercy, His love, He doesn't give you some partial, incomplete forgiveness. He forgives everything. Uh, the Old Testament has all kinds of amazing metaphors and pictures for this, that your sins will be scarlet, but they'll be white as snow. That it'll be as if they were cast into the sea. They'll be gone forever. That He removes them so far from us, it's as far as the east is from the west. Just eternity, infinite, gone. But that uh, God doesn't turn anybody away. That forgiveness is available to everybody. Anybody that will confess. The Bible says that whosoever believes will not perish. It's something that we're to take to every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. Everyone should hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Everyone should hear about His grace and forgiveness. Everyone is commanded to repent. Whether you're a believer that's straight away or an unbeliever that doesn't know Christ, forgiveness is available to you. Reconciliation is available to you. Being made whole and restored with the Father is available to you. You can have a clean slate. God has provided salvation in Christ for the sins of the whole world, everyone. It's not as if it's unreachable for the average person. It's too far away that we can't get there. This is for all of us. It's something that we can all do. We can have the fear of death and judgment gone. We can know that Christ died for our redemption. What we've done following our own path has brought us nothing but death, rebellion, separation. It's removed us from all of the blessings that God has for us. We've lost Eden. But Christ has come to give us another way. He's brought reconciliation. He's brought restoration and life to us. He's brought something that we don't deserve. And the blessings go on beyond that. If you'll turn to our next passage with me in Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to be looking at verses 26 and 27. This is Paul again, and he says, "...that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish." So. This is uh, the cleansing in John's letter. is talking about the process, the progressive element of salvation. This is something that uh, absolutely, if you take anything away, this applies to everyone. This will change your life to understand. God does not just save you and then leave you. He does not just save you and slam the restart button and say, I, I hope you make it this time. That's not what He does for us. He never leaves us. He always helps us. He fills us with His Holy Spirit. God's not going to leave you where you are. He's going to come and work in you. He will change you. He will make you a different, better, more godly person than you are right now. The Christian life is not just a life of stagnation. You just show up at church on Sunday morning and you know, maybe eat after church on Wednesday and it's a little social gathering. Or That's not what it's about. The Christian life is a life of growing closer to God, trying to mature, to be renewed, to grow in your faith. He does all of that for us. He does it here by the washing of water with His Word. The Word of God can change people. It doesn't leave you in the situation that you're in when you came to Christ. You'll never be the same. His Word instructs us. It corrects us. It gives us everything that we need to know. It is absolutely sufficient to live a godly life. All of the instruction that you need is right here. And not only has He given us His Word, He's 
brought us new life. We've been born again. As believers, we're a new creature in Christ. We have a new nature. We have a new helper that He's sent to us. He has sent His Spirit to change us, to work within us. The Spirit of God works in our lives. How does He do that? If you will, just turn back just a few pages real quick to Galatians chapter 5. What does it look like for the Spirit to be in your life? Verses 22 and 23, they say, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. You'll notice these aren't the fruit of Hunter's goodwill or Hunter's good works or all of Hunter's effort. These are the fruit of the Spirit. You want love, you want joy in your life, you want peace, long-suffering, you want faith. Where does it come from? It doesn't come from me. I don't have to drum up love in my life. That comes from God. He works that in me. He gives that to me. Uh, The source of all these things are Him. The source of all of our growth is Him. Uh, And beyond that, God is our Father. He disciplines and corrects us just like any other father would. Hebrews chapter 12 compares God to an earthly father. Our earthly fathers, what did they do? If they loved you, they corrected you. They tried to set you on the right path. Uh, They they didn't just accept that you were going to do things that were going to harm you and those around you. God does the exact same thing. God uh, guides His children back to the road that He wants them to be on. It might be unpleasant at the time, but God does that because He loves us. He wants us to do right. He wants us to do good. And those are the blessings that He gives us. If you will, turn to 1 Kings chapter 8. I also want to talk a little bit about God's character in light of all of this. In our main text today, it says that God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Well, why, did, why did John say that? Why is that important? And I just want to take those one at a time real quick. What does it mean that God is faithful? We're going to read verse 56. And he says, Blessed be the Lord that hath given rest unto his people Israel. According to all that he promised, there hath not failed one word of all his good promise, which he promised by the hand of Moses his servant. So what does it mean that God is faithful? It means that not one word fails of all that he's promised us, of all that he's told us. It means that he keeps every promise that he gives. He's trustworthy. He's reliable. When he says he's going to do something, he does it. He's always true to His Word. He's faithful in forgiving us because that's what He always told us He was going to do. That's not God going back on His plan. That's not God uh, going back on what He said in the past. That's fulfilling what God has told us in the past. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God never lies. He never changes. He never changes His mind. And He is capable of doing everything that He tells you He will do. Uh, You could probably preach an entire sermon, I'd say, just solely on the promises that God has given us in His Word. They're everywhere. They're all over the place. I don't have time to do that right now. It's a great Bible study to have on your own. I I don't want to send anybody away from here without knowing at least a little bit of what God has promised to His children. Because He has said that He will give us so much. And if He's faithful, we know that He'll do what He says He will do. It says that if we endure trials, that that will lead to a crown of life. 
all of our suffering will come to an end. Eternal life will be there. That if we seek first His kingdom, our needs will be added to us. That we have peace with God through faith in Christ. That we can be delivered from the fear of death. That a faithful man abounds in blessings. That He has given us everlasting comfort. That He's given us hope that's built on a sure foundation. That He guides us in all judgment. That He will teach us His way. That He will take all things that happen and work them together for the good of those that love Him. And finally, in the scripture we have today, that if we will return to Him and confess our sins, He will forgive us and He will cleanse us and He will do exactly what He has said that He will do. We can have absolute confidence. God is faithful and trustworthy in everything that He does. And lastly, our text says that God is just to forgive us. Now, there's an interesting question that kind of arises with this, and, and bear with me, this, this happens more than you would think. One of the things that people struggle with more than almost anything else is why in the world God would forgive terrible sinners, especially people that have been terrible to them. That might seem silly to you, but that problem has come up for me many, many times. People want to know, uh, is God just taking these guilty people and, and just saying it's okay? What about the victims of all those sins? Does God just not care about those? Is God doing something that's not just, that's not right or proper? Now, of course, the answer is no, He doesn't. He does care about those people. If you will, turn with me to our last scripture of the day. We're going to look at Romans chapter 3. Talk about God's justice in verse 23 to 26. He says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood, to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. To declare, I say at this time, this is the important part, His righteousness, that He might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Never, in Scripture, never does it even hint at the idea that something that God does is unjust, it's improper, it's not the right thing to do. God saves sinners because of what Christ has done. It's not that He doesn't think they are sinners or that He doesn't care or that He doesn't care about the victims of those sins. Uh, he has borne our sins for all of us, including those victims. He's given us blessings that go far beyond anything we've ever suffered in this world. Jesus is the only way to God. He's the only way to God because our works cannot save us. It's in the Bible over and over and over and over again. He's done something that we can't do. He's gone beyond something that we were capable of. It's not that He's lowered His standard or that He pretends that sin isn't sin. It's that He has sent His Son, His only Son, into the world to bear our sins, to be a curse for us, to reconcile us to the Father, to triumph over all of the evil and wicked and death in the world, in Him, God is making all things new. He's putting all things back together. And I want you to know tonight that he, or I'm sorry, it's not tonight, is it? This morning, that He can do the same thing for you that He's doing for everybody else. That God has been changing lives through Christ for 2,000 years, and He's not going to stop now. No sinner, no matter how bad, is so bad that he can't seek God's mercy that he can't return to him and seek forgiveness and confess his sins and be cleansed and forgiven just like God said he would. Nobody is so good 
that they don't need to come to God to confess their sins, to seek that help and forgiveness. Uh, one of Jesus' main themes in his ministry was, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. It goes to everyone. If you seek God, you will find Him. If you seek Christ, you will find Him. That's one of those promises that He gives us in Scripture. I can't promise you, if you make that decision, that it will always be easy. It probably won't always be easy. I can promise you that God will never leave you or forsake you. That He will be with you every step of the way. That He will bring you to the other side. So if you're a non-believer that doesn't know the Lord... Today could be the day that you do. If you'll confess your sins, if you'll return to Him, He'll make you whole. If you're a believer that's strayed away from the path that God would have you on, you can be forgiven as well. God's mercy is just as much for you as it is for anyone else. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't know how long we have left. I heard Mr. Long tell this morning that a 21-year-old in our prayers died from cancer. We don't know how long we have. Today is the day of salvation. Don't wait another minute. I don't care if you're a believer or an unbeliever. Come to the Lord. Confess your sins. Receive His forgiveness today. Uh, Let no one leave here being able to say that they haven't heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. That Jesus loved you. That He died for you. That He rose again and conquered death. And that if you will believe in Him, you will have all of those benefits forever and ever. We're going to have a a minute of invitation, Pam, if you'll come back up for us. And I just want to encourage anybody here today uh, to reflect on themselves, to ask if they're where they need to be. Are there things that need to be changed? Are there things that we need to take to God and confess and ask for His mercy? Today would be the day to do it. Today is the day of salvation. Uh, Altars will be open if anybody wants to come and pray.